Good morning. My name is Kristen Paleo. I'll be reading the scripture um, for our congregation this morning. It's found in the book of John, chapter 7, verses 1 through 36. You can find it in the Pew Bible, page 839, or on the screen. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore mar marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my time is not mine, oh, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm, I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you are all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on, a sab if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that, on the authorities, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ, but we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? 
The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? This is the word of the Lord. Have you judged Jesus yet? <laughs> He's just read a big long section here of how Jesus is being judged by all kinds of people. But if you haven't judged Jesus up till now, you need to get to it. Because this is something that we're called to do, whether you like it or not. You must judge Jesus. Today, I don't want you walking out of here without deciding you're going to do that. Even if you don't decide who Jesus is today, <laughs> that's fine. Get on this subject because it's so important, whether you like it or not. We're looking at John chapter 7. That's a lot to look at here in one big stretch. And uh, there's a lot to it. You can weave so many ideas in this big, long passage. And usually what we do here as we've been going through John and Ecclesiastes, we usually zoom in on key uh, points and key ideas. And so we limit our text to a very narrow perspective. But if you back up and look at this whole chapter as a unit, it becomes clear that there is one theme that begins and goes all the way through, and that is the subject of how he wants people, disciples, who are judging him. It's an odd thing to say, but let's look at the context for starters. In John 6, 64, that's just a few verses before chapter 7 starts, we read these words. But there were some of you, this is Jesus talking, who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is an interesting point. You know, we tend to think of him having just like 12 disciples, but that was the apostles, those who were especially set apart. He had lots of disciples. People followed him around and listened to his teaching and were familiar with him. It says here that after he gave some of his instructions, he had a minor crisis. We would say a lot of people left his church. It was disciples that were leaving, people who had been following. And then it says, as we get right into chapter 7, but after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here. Go up to Judea, 
that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. This was their solution to his disciple crisis. It sounds like good advice. But it sets the stage for what we're looking at today. And here's what I want you to look at today. It's an outline that you'll find in your bulletin insert. Now, half of you have a bulletin insert that says point one, two, and three. And then the other half of you have a bulletin outline that says point four, five, and six. Guess whose fault that is? Yeah, uh, it was just one of those formatting errors. I've lost my touch. My penchant for perfectionism is, I think, easing up on me. So those of you who have four, five, and six, just think of yourselves as the head of the class, okay? <laughs> you just have one, two, and three like everybody else. And point one is this. Do you think you judge Jesus? Maybe you don't think of yourselves in that way. But in our day and age, almost everybody has some kind of judgment, even if it's apathetic. And then secondly, we're going to look at how to judge Jesus, because this text actually addresses that subject, how to judge Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look about how to judge rightly so that you get fantastic results. Because God is personal. This isn't just a matter of evaluating uh, some political official. This is something very personal between you and God. So first of all, do you think you judge Jesus? Because that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? We tend to think of judging as something that's uh, really negative. But when you read this text, don't you see how everybody's evaluating him? Everyone seems to be his family, the authorities, the man in the street, the religious people, everyone. And to be fair, it was a cultural hot topic back then, not nearly the hot topic it is today. Everybody in the Judean area, Galilee, Samaria even, they were all expecting the Messiah and talking about it, and they had been for years before Jesus showed up. Look at John 7, verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? The reason they're doing this is because everybody goes up to the Feast of the Booths. It was a very popular thing. And there was a lot of muttering about him among the people. And while some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. If you skip down to verse 20, it says the crowd answered Jesus when he spoke. They said, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Come on. I mean, one moment we're talking about how, yes, they are trying to kill him. Next moment, people are saying, what are you, nuts? Jesus answered them. He said, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. He's referring to what took place in chapter 5 when he healed the man on the Sabbath. At that moment, the religious authorities decided they had to kill Jesus. And the people of Jerusalem, they're very familiar with this. 
This is all the talk in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. This spectacular healing that took place was a sign. Jesus calls it a work. I did one work, and you all marvel at it. But it's a sign in the book of John. In the book of John, the miracles that Jesus does are meant to be signs for the reader to recognize, just as they were in Jesus' day. Look at John 7, 25 through 27. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Keep in mind, you don't have wanted posters back then. You don't have mass media. You don't have photographs. Nobody's quite sure who this guy is, Jesus. And to make matters worse, he doesn't hang around in Jerusalem very much. We tend to think that, oh yeah, that's where Jesus' ministry was, Jerusalem, the capital of Judea. But actually not so much. And so there's a lot of confusion. Isn't this the guy or isn't he the guy? Well, you don't know. And here he is, as it says in verse 26, speaking openly. And, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah, the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. This is one of the legends that surrounded Jesus. There were lots of theories and ideas, and people hadn't put together all of the scriptures very well. They weren't exactly sure what to make of Jesus, what he was to be like exactly. And furthermore, his origins were a little obscure. I mean, he was known as being from Galilee, but only a few realized, no, he was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets said he would be. Going on, John 7, 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. This is a major theme in this, in this book and in this chapter, that he has an appointment with destiny. See, he has a rendezvous. It's with the cross, when it says that his time has not come, they're not talking about the broad time, the era of Jesus, the days of Jesus, this period of history. They're talking about something very specifically, what we may very well translate as his appointment, his appointment with the cross. And that's how he talks all the way through the book of John. Because his hour had not yet come. Verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, well, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Some of the people, many of the people were taking to heart that these miracles were indeed signs that he was this Messiah that people were looking for. 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So it's not like they didn't try. But what's interesting at this point in my talk this morning is that everybody seems to be judging Jesus one way or the other, and there's a lot of confusion about it. This is the prophet. Look at this list here. People. This is the prophet, 
Messiah that Moses told us to expect. They're thinking of Deuteronomy 18.18. We read about Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, and yet he's open-minded. Look at what he says. Shouldn't we hear him before we judge him? And many of the Pharisees said, oh, no, 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 it's quite clear. He can't be a prophet. Get this. What's the reason? Oh, he's from Galilee. Well, well, you and I sit here and go, what does that have to do with it exactly? And then to some of the people, they're saying, well, here's this guy. They want to kill him. Why don't the temple police arrest him? Is it because they secretly believe that he is the Messiah? And so they're not going to make a move against him? And then there's the officers, the police officers, the temple police. They go back after trying to arrest Jesus, sent to do that. They go back empty-handed to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees say, what? And the officers say, hey, we listen to him, and no one speaks like this guy does. He's brilliant. He's amazing. And then there's the crowd. At one moment, they seem like they're sort of behind him. Next moment, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Why, you're nuts? You're crazy. And then some of the people say, oh, he's a good man. And then some of the other people say, no, 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 he's leading the people astray. So you have all these opinions that he's a good man and whatnot. How many of you saw the movie that's been out, Jesus Revolution? Any hands? Any? Any? A handful. Hey, listen, this is a great movie. You know, I mean, the, the religious movies that have come out over the years are sort of, you know, embarrassing almost, mediocre. This is really well done, Jesus Revolution, if you get a chance to see it. My wife and I went to see it. It's about, uh, about something that actually happened in history. It's well documented, well acted, and realistic. Shows all the, the warts and problems. But during the movie, my, I had tears streaming down my cheeks, and my wife said to me, I, I couldn't hide them. There were just so many tears. I thought, you know, how you can discreetly go <laughs> like that. Well, I couldn't do that. It was just too many. And she says, why are you crying? And I said, because I lived through this. That movie is the era that I lived through in my early 20s, that hippie, Jesus freak era. And what you see in the movie, that's my experience too. I wasn't in California, but this was a nationwide phenomena. And you should know about this because this happens in America periodically. It's called a revival. And it's not the kind of revival that happens on one campus or two or three. But it's the kind of thing that sweeps the nation. And it's documented. Time Magazine documented it. And that's part of the theme of the movie, too. You do well to go see that. But the funny thing about that hippie era was that you could walk up to people and you'd say, hey, man, who do you think Jesus is? Oh, I think he's a cool dude, man, yeah. I like Jesus. He was a good man. And you can start having a conversation about Jesus. Not at all like the hostility you get nowadays. Well, there were a lot of people in Jesus' day that thought that. They thought, well, he's a good man. But you think about it for a moment. 
he couldn't have been a good man if he was claiming to be the son of God. He, he, he couldn't have been a good man if he was misleading people about the truth. Of course, he couldn't have been a crazy man either if he was making so much sense and was so profound that the officers who went to arrest him couldn't because they were stunned. This guy's brilliant. No one's ever taught like this. You might think he's a deceiver setting things up to deceive the people and trick them into him becoming a king, except he never does. He, he in fact, repudiates the whole idea of him being a king. See, there's a central idea here, and that is whether you want to or not, you must judge Jesus. Do you think you judge him? Well, if you do, be warned, there is a right way and a wrong way, just as I've hinted at. Here's how to judge Jesus. Right here in this text, John 7, 16 through 18. So, Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Key sentence here. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Isn't that interesting? See, we tend to think that you can be objective about God, objective about science, objective about Jesus. Actually, there's no such thing as neutrality. This is saying, if you want to know whether my teaching is accurate, then you have to want to do the will of God. That's how you will know the teaching of Jesus is true or not. The one who, verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. See, Jesus isn't out there doing self-promotion. That's how the world would want him to do it. That's how his brothers would want him to do it, to seek some glory. But he's not interested in that. He takes the, the route of humility. Verse, verse 23, skipping down 723. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well? See, that's another sign he's talking about. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here's an example of how Jesus is actually telling us how to judge him. How to evaluate who he is. And you know that this is a major theme of the book of John. Let me just show you this at the very end of the book of John Chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, it says, Jesus did many other signs. This is the summary of the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of this book, and that's what we've been dwelling on before we took a little bypass into the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been dwelling on who is Jesus, what's his identity. One of the many topics that we could be talking about, we could be talking about his identity from this passage. There's a lot to say there. Well, we could be talking about the geography, too, because very few of us understand how this geography is laid out. It's worth your time spending uh, spending a, a moment and looking at those maps in the back of your Bible and learning where, where was Jesus ministering to, especially when you think that Jerusalem is the religious center, you'll see, well, he's in Samaria, he's in, spent a lot of time in Galilee. He even spent some time in Jerusalem, but it was just like a day trip. And then he would go and retire at the villages outside of town. That's where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. That's where he did a lot of his miracles. You remember on, on, on Palm Sunday how he uh, triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem. Where did he come from? He came from those outlying villages. Those are the people who were excited about him. People inside Jerusalem, they're going, what? What's going on here? But the people outside, from Bethany in that area, past Jericho, following him, shouting, singing, there's a big parade. He's riding on a donkey. A huge political statement from the book of Zechariah. Here he comes. Those people weren't from Jerusalem at all. Oh, there's many things that we could talk about. We could talk about his appointment and how God has his own times. But what we're zeroing in here on is the idea that people judge Jesus and that's not all bad. Because he wants you to judge him too. This is why the book is written. Look back at chapter 5 of the book of John. On the slides here we have it. But if you go back to chapter 5, 16. Here's the background to this. They're going to kill Jesus. He talks about how he heals a man on the Sabbath. And then in 16, 516, it says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, so he, he, he's explaining himself now, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, you and I, we may not understand those words, but they did. They understood these words because look how they respond. Verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, this is extremely significant, not just because of the deity issue, but because of the pattern. The pattern is that you do a miracle, but that's, that you don't stop there. You explain the miracle. You teach the miracle. You tell people why it's significant. Then the miracle becomes a sign. It points to something. 
If you were Jerry Seinfeld, you'd say, anybody can do miracles. The question is, can you interpret the miracle? And that's what makes the difference. Jesus is interpreting the significance of what he's doing. Significance, that's the word sign. What is a miracle without an explanation? You don't, you don't know what it means. In, uh, John, 17, in uh, John 7, verse 30, it says this, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Now you know why they're seeking to arrest him. Because his hour had not yet come, and yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? You could even do that with a, a Jewish accent. So when the Christ appears, is he going to do more signs than these? Say, this is where that, that comes from. It's, it's part of being ethnic. John 7, 3 says this, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. This is the advice from his brothers. For not even these brothers believed in him, it says there. And Jesus replies to them, now you go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. He's saying, no, I'm not going to reveal myself as the Messiah at this point, as the one who has to die on the cross, the one who has an appointment as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. I am not going to do that at this time. But he does go up to the feast. And he does reveal more about himself, but not in the way that Palm Sunday did. Not riding on the donkey, not receiving the acclaim, the hosannas, which means save us. O king, save us, hosanna. The politically charged chants of the crowd. No. He, has, he comes with a low key to, to reveal himself in a different way. See, we're like the brothers a lot of times. I bet you thought this way, haven't you? Haven't you said, well, why didn't he just, you know, levitate and then fly around in the cloud so everybody could see that he's the Messiah? Why didn't he just do that? Just declare yourself, Jesus. What's all the sneaking around about? Why are you making it hard for people? Come on, if you're the Messiah... Prove it. That's how the brothers are thinking. They're into public relations. You need more PR, don't you, Jesus? That's what you need. But Jesus says, hey, don't judge superficially. If you think I'm crazy, then what about my profound teachings? What about my compassion toward people and the healing that I do? If you think I'm a deceiver, why then, what do I have to gain from doing these miracles? Where am I receiving the reward? If you think I'm a good man, then how come I'm claiming to be 
the Son and the Father as one. He must be who he says he is. That's the conclusion. That's the judgment. Jesus has to be who he claims to be. You know, the Bible, people say it claims you shouldn't judge, but as we saw this morning, when we looked at the uh, text from Matthew 7, the point isn't don't judge. The point is don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge hypocritically. First, clean up your act, then judge. That's what it actually says. It says get rid of your hypocrisy so that you can judge accurately. So what have we seen? We've seen that we do judge. We see that whether or not we like it, we have to judge. But here's Jesus on point three. Judging rightly yields fantastic results. I'm fond of saying to folks who doubt the existence of God, I'm fond of saying, you know, it doesn't make sense because the universe is personal. If it wasn't personal, why, why, how come we're arguing? We're arguing because it's personal. If we're just chance products, then why are we arguing? And God is personal. And that's a major point in this, in this uh, section. Judging rightly yields fantastic results because Jesus is a person just as the Father is a person, just as the Holy Spirit is a person. This whole thing is personal. That's why you have to judge because you're a person. And God comes into this world personally. And it says, furthermore, that when he comes into this world he participates in all the things that the Jewish community does. He goes up to the Feast of Booths. Do you know what the Feast of Booths is? Booths, that's not a good word. Well, you've heard it as a Feast of Tabernacles. Well, I mean, Tabernacles maybe isn't such a good word. You know, it's like huts. It's like, um, it's like a, this picture here of, of tents or temporary shelters or, or lean-tos. Um, what happened was every year... Everybody would go up to Jerusalem and they'd live, or they'd stay in their towns and do it too, but they'd go up to Jerusalem, especially if they wanted to make it a big event, and they'd live for a week camping out. Ah, there we go. That's what it is. It's the feast of camping out. I mean, we're having a picnic. The kids are running around. People are seeing each other. They've never seen them for a couple of years or something like that. And, and this goes on for a week. It was one of the most popular feasts there is, one of the most popular holidays in Judaism. And people to this day celebrate it with, with the, the pictures that, that you see there on the wall of how people went about doing these things. Well, it says here in 37, verse 37, on the last day of the feast... The great day, it's, a, it's the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. First of all, this is high drama. Because all week long, people have been orbiting around the temple, and the priests have been doing their thing. And on the great day, the priests would lead the people in a parade outside of town to the pool of Siloam, where they would take buckets of water, pitchers, and walk in and to the temple and pour them out. So that not only have we been living in temporary shelters, camping out like they did in the wilderness, that's what it was to celebrate, the Feast of Booths, that we lived in the wilderness and God took care of us, but now on the final day, we're pouring out the water on, on the altar and on the ground as a symbol of how we thirsted in the wilderness how water was a constant subject of discussion, a constant problem. And in the midst of this great final act on the day of the feast, with the water being poured out, what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he said this because he was talking about the Spirit that he was going to pour out on the earth on Pentecost Day so that it would overflow from your hearts too. You've got to judge Jesus. Is this real? Well, yeah, it is because, you know, if nothing else... Christianity is a first-hand experience of God. That's why you have to judge him. Because you're either going to say, I don't believe in this first-hand experience of God, or I do. This is very dramatic stuff that they did here. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't a Holy Spirit until then because the Psalms and all kinds of places in the Old Testament say, well, you know, bless me with your spirit. Cleanse me with your spirit. I, I, I need your spirit. What it means is that because of what Jesus did, his appointment with destiny, it means now the spirit is poured out liberally so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pour down on the whole world, not just Judea, not just Jerusalem, but everywhere. The whole earth. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying, come out of the wilderness. Quit wandering around. Come to me. Can't you see who I am? Haven't you judged that yet? Haven't you figured that out? Verse 40 says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. He's the new Moses. 
He's the new Moses, the fulfillment of the new Moses. You know what they're talking about, Deuteronomy 18, 18. See it here in the slide. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. Whether you want to or not, you must judge Jesus. And this is how you make that ultimate judgment. This is how you do it. You come to Jesus. And when you do, the results are fantastic because he gives you his own spirit. And it's like, it's like a clean river cleaning you up inside. It's, it's like quenching your thirst, that that you've run dry and you need to be revitalized. It's, it's life-giving. And it, and it flows and pours out of you. It overflows. It's like a river. It affects other people. It creates community. I challenge you today, choose to judge Jesus the right way. Because if you don't, then he will judge you. But if you do judge him the right way, you will get in touch with the real God, the one that's really there and cares about you. Let's pray. Lord God, I do ask that we may honor you with our lives and our evaluations and that you would forgive us for ignoring you and being apathetic, not really caring, just going around doing what we want to do. Help us to come to you so that we have this, this real experience of life. In Jesus' name, amen.